Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, MBs. We are transmitting from a parallel world today. Um, or maybe not, you know, depending on how this looks. Maybe we'll put through some filters, make it look a bit strange and usual for the old black and white, you know, maybe a rainbow. I don't know. But anyway, this is Warrior Death Show's Stream of Thought podcast series, and I'm Shaden, and joining me from across the pond but close to my is the Soul Doctor. And that's the podcast. Thank you very much, everyone, and good night. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who might be listening in audio form, Doc there just, he, he gave a gif-worthy or jif-worthy shrug uh, of, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I... A big, big old, I don't know, I just don't know. A big old, giant old, enormous shrug. Yeah, um, if, if I wasn't because... if I wasn't the laziest editor in the world, I would probably like splice in the Looney Tunes That's All Folks theme right here and just then cut to 20 seconds of nothing. Just to, just to, you know, mess with people. But <laughs> we really need a soundboard. <laughs> we do all the all the uh, all the copyrighted like you know uh, late motifs and whatnot. But no, uh, <laughs> we are here this week to discuss episodes four uh, through six of Sunny Boy, uh, the anime whose title I can I can only just resist saying in a redneck voice. I mean, with, <laughs> with a title like that, it, I mean again, conceived by Foghorn Leghorn. You tell me in chat. I know. Um, and so we're going to be going through quite a couple of different things today. Uh, we're going to be giving our, uh, you know, brief review of these four episodes. I suspect Doc's may be very brief indeed. Uh, or he may potentially have already given it. We know we're doing this non-linearly today. Uh, and also in uh, through <laughs> interpretive gesture. Uh, quite possibly. Uh, Doc will then also have the unenviable task of doing a two-minute plot synopsis of this, as we have done before. Um, I wish him all the best of luck in this endeavour. Um, Sweet Jesus. <laughs> I mean, if now if you want to bring up the sock puppets, uh, sock puppets now, Doc. Now is as good a time as any, or maybe a whiteboard. Um, unfortunately, I have no props. I do. I have uh, a uh, what do you call it? A stress ball, uh, a fidget ball. I don't think that's going to help. I, at think, all. I, I, I think know. if anything, you might have to do a clean up afterwards. That thing's going to blow up. Um. <laughs> It did really well. I, I mean, or, or lastly, maybe you've got some Vizios, you know, some flows lined up. You know, how's your flow chime? Mm -hmm. I got these two cups. <laughs> this cup represents God. <laughs> this cup represents the possibility space that we humans inhabit. And I'm going to tell you how they interact mm -hmm. after the break. What, what is what is carbonated and what is not? Correct. One's bad for you, but uh, also tastes better, which funny enough, reflects a lot of my experiences with religion, generally speaking, but there we are. <laughs> uh, after which we'll be talking about creators, of course, then we'll be doing our patron questions, uh, onto talking points, and then we'll finish. Probably no more, you know, in a place of understanding than when we started. And that's not because of Sunny Bias, just because that's our podcast, that's our, you know, clique. That's what we like to do around here. But anyway, uh, well, I suppose there's no time like the present for us to get into our snapshots uh, discussion and uh, review. And this is just basically a spoiler-free summary of what we think about these four episodes. Uh, sorry, three episodes, rather, I mean to say. Uh, Doc, do you want to go first? Uh, just so you can just, like, give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down and then pass, pass it back to me. It's like ping pong. You can serve yeah. it back if you want, real quick. Sure. Um, I think about these episodes that they are incredibly interesting while not necessarily being incredibly entertaining. Mm. Uh, I think that there is a lot of highfalutin metaphysics 
philosophical, r- religious kind of, you know, ideas, uh, maybe perhaps even like uh, th- theoretical science, you know, quantum mechanics and what have you. Uh, no, no perhaps about it, actually. All that stuff is at play. But, I mean, it's always, you know, a difficult thing to introduce um really high level kind of versions of those ideas into like fiction i think just because i don't know (laughs) you do you do kind of risk losing the audience and um i have been reading uh vestnet Mm -hmm. steve's um reviews of the show weekly and he usually begin no he does begin all of them basically with saying i wouldn't blame me if you jump ship now because <laughs> because it's getting wild and it gets progressively wilder each week and i mean it doesn't mean i don't like it i mean i like thinking about it i think this series is to be admired and respected and i mean we do have thoughts on it i know both of us do on kind of the different aspects of it but uh I wouldn't say that it has any kind of like emotional hold on me. Um, I just find that there's an unbridgeable distance between myself and the characters at this point. Mm. We still have half a series to go. <clears throat> uh, in fact, the Twitter account of the show posted a trailer for next week saying it's a trailer for part two. Mm. So <laughs> it's like... Uh, there's a hard break between the first six episodes and the next set. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's all, uh, there's a wide possibility space before us, no pun intended. But yeah, I think TLDR, it's it's very interesting, but not necessarily very entertaining. Fair enough. Um, me? Uh, what? What? Well, uh, I think the show can, we can quite conclusively say at this point that it, you know, all of its budget went onto its animation and how it looks, and therefore it has no more money to spend on giving a fuck about what you or anyone else thinks. To be quite honest, I mean, mm. I mean, look, snarky snarkiness aside, I do think the show has some interesting, as you rightly point, ideas and thoughts behind it. Although I, funnily enough, also did read uh, Steve's review um, of episode mm-hmm. six in particular, and. Uh, he mentioned a show of which I am personally very fond of, which is Penguin Drum, as a point of comparison. Mm-hmm. And I've since not been able to really unlodge that comparison point for my brain. And I'm going to be frank, while I do see the comparison, and I'm not saying Steve is wrong, of course, it, between these two shows and what their broad ideas might be going for, um, unfortunately, Sonny Boy just doesn't hold a candle to Penguin Drum. And that's a relative thing, I should stress. You know, that's... <laughs> Christ, that's like saying you know, like that your local your local like restaurant that you really really like doesn't hold a candle to you know the fanciest Michelin starred place in central London or whatever. You know, it's your place is still good. It's very good even, but there's there's that tier above. And I think in mm-hmm. part that is also because much like yourself, I find it difficult to connect with the characters. Um, I think that their des- their design, uh, their function in the narrative is not so they're necessarily characters as we would see them in, for example, Penguin Drum, where they have arcs, motivations, and such. And that's not to say that they're devoid of those things necessarily entirely, but they're not very pronounced or fleshed out by design. They're instead more, I think, to serve concept like the conceptual element. There's some good bits between the characters, for sure. 
And I think, as I say, the show has a, uh, an intriguing and welcome message, which is, uh, you know, uh, fuck you, you don't do what you tell me. It's the classic Rage Against the Machine no. idiom. Um, exactly. <laughs> and there's certainly some intriguing ideas behind that. Um, but, yeah, if you're coming here, for example, for an emotional investment in a character uh, to see how they uh, change over time, you're probably not really going to get that, to be quite honest. And if it happens, it won't be... It'll be a more of a side consequence of the uh, overall like uh, high level stuff the show is doing, rather than the mm-hmm. um, more micro level thing that might be going on. Uh, I mean, another comparison point I'd make is with Kageki Shoujo, which is about race, which is in a way also about like examining mm. kids caught in a uh, you know a system that is uh, often stacked very much against them or is actively hostile towards them, despite pretending to be for their best interests. Um, and Kageki Shoujo, while not taking place in some sort of wax-out David Lynchian like alternate dimension, um, you know that doesn't have that. But what it does have is emotional investment in the characters, which to me makes it a superior show. But also, then we have to say, well, Sonny Boy is not interested in that sort of stuff, so can we criticize him? But you know, it's, it's that whole thing, like yeah. you know, you you bring you you race it on. You can race it both your overall enjoyment and what it's trying to accomplish. And I agree with you that I think it's very interesting, but I'm just not necessarily finding it the most entertaining thing in the world. Uh, I mean, I'll freely admit, this might have been because I was tired after work, but I was watching the monkey episode the other week, and I fell asleep while I was watching it. <laughs> How you let Blue down. How and the funny thing is, like, I rewatched the monkey episode, and I think it has some actually quite potent things to say. Um, but... What? That umpire just <laughs> rolled in his grave. He just shook his head at his monkey head. Uh, I mean, it's not the secret Monkey Island reboot I was hoping for, but what can we do? <laughs> what can we do? I mean, I'd have, I'd have been totally up for, like, you know, uh, Nozomi and the guards go insult fencing and for us just utterly decimate him. But anyway, that's... Come on, Double Fun. Come on. LucasArts, come, come back. Come back. Uh, Get to bring, it. <laughs> bring, bring back the golden age uh, of point-and-click adventure. Um <laughs> But one thing I should also just note before I move away from my overly long but still relatively short review of this is the reason I think in part you want to have an emotional arc sometimes in stories like this is because they can be the gateway drug, if you want to call it that, to appreciating the higher mm-hmm. concept stuff that's going on. Like, to go back to Penguin Drum, as Steve mentioned before, like, the reason that all of its lessons hit home much harder is because you felt them so acutely happening to the characters in the story rather than the sense of disconnect that we have here. Um, so you could still argue that it's a fault of the show that it doesn't do that because it would help sell the message better. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I overall like it. I, I think it's, I certainly think it's, mm-hmm. uh, how shall I say, unashamed. And I appreciate that in itself, like that it just has no compunction to be accessible. It has no compunction to be conventional. Um it just is whatever it wants to be. It's a passion project, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, exactly. And I, on, on its merits alone, I I would applaud that. Um, and it's unless it was doing some sort of like you know shady messaging shit. It's like this is my passion project, and it's sure. going to be also kind of a manifesto, sneaky under radar. Right. No, fuck that. It's not that. It's not that. Um, <laughs> yes. But anyway, yeah. So uh, uh, overall, yeah. thumbs up. Uh, it has a very good wolf boy in it. It's the same wolf boy from Fantastic Mr. Oh. Fox. I'm fairly confident. I love, I love that wolf boy. I love the voice. I wish I had looked up. Who I, the know, I know who I know who the Seiyu is. Uh, just a, but I don't. Well, I don't know who they are name wise. But I okay, have heard okay, their okay. voice before. If you're currently yeah. watching to your eternity, 
That is the voice of the mysterious rogue man who, like, you know, sends Fushi out into the world. He's just been in so many things. Um, what is he called? Do we remember the- what... Uh... Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, Kinjiro Tsuda. Um, Yamada, that's right. Uh, I'm trying to... Holy cow, my internet is being the slowest ever. So Clearly you need a new mouse. I, I need... <laughs> yep. Um, I need to know what else that where I've heard this voice before. It's not Attack on Titan I'm thinking of. Uh, it's certainly not Boruto. Uh, is it Devilman Crybaby? Koji? Definitely remember him from that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not like really... Oh yeah, Salt from Flip Flappers. That's immediately what came to my mind for sure. And then a million other things. Uh, Horimiya. <laughs> He's the stupid, horrible teacher as well. Oh, Do you remember? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's for several characters. Well, a couple characters. It, it's, in JoJo's it's fine. As we, well. we, it's fine though. Like he, he's not playing the like you know sexually manipulative or abusive or just grossing out teacher character in the show, even though one has now appeared. <laughs> he's he's escaped from playing the role, but unfortunately, he's not escaped shows that present that role. Although, joke as I might, that character actually serves a very important purpose, which I'll get to later. Yeah, but just to quickly um, have a rejoinder to what you said and agree, I mean, I don't want to come across as too negative because, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is what we want, right? As as anime fans uh, and as as fans of good art, it's like a director kind of being given carte blanche to uh to make kind of what they want free of corporate constraints and this is definitely not a show that is like again interested in like you said what really anybody thinks uh, in merchandising or anything it's just shingo natsume really wants to tell a story and you know i mean i think the sort of uh conceptual vomit (laughs) or shotgun or whatever you want to call it that kind of approach to presenting ideas like can have its drawbacks i still think it is interesting and i remember saying it's kind of trying to take this approach when we talked about brand new animal um and of course i don't think either of us thought that show lived up to the things that like the goals that the director set out oh for oh it. you mean pro pro but, eugenics like viewpoint that wasn't on my bingo card for that show <laughs> very, very weird turn uh that it took at some point but like um so i do think it would help us to keep in mind the big picture goal of the show so there is an ann interview that shingo natsume has done within the last few weeks um and again it's really easy to get lost in the weeds in this show and it's really easy to be like what does this symbol mean what does this like action mean? Like, <laughs> what, the, what does this or that represent? I, I, right? I, I mean, it's hard. I'm, ch- I'm chuckling um, because you said it's easy to get lost in the weeds in the show, and you're gonna have two minutes to get into the weeds and then get out again. Good luck. I am. I am. But like, Nasme says in that interview that sort of the inspiration of this story uh, is, and I'm par- I think I'm giving a basically a quote here. It says um, the story is inspired by the illogicality that uh that comes about through living under a system of rules and how a bunch of kids kind of 
kick and spur against that illogicality. So this is a show about those kind of systems and about sort of defying convention, fate, structures imposed from without upon us, uh, all that kind of thing. So like, I think it just is helpful, at least for me, when I'm thinking about the show, to refocus on what the big picture, at least the goal of the show is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. Right then, uh, so that's our snapshot reviews. We both like it, but we both are just like... It, how to, how to put it's like staring into a black hole. Like You can see the event horizon. You might have some <laughs> general idea of what's going on, but good luck unless you're really, really like you know into it, uh, figuring out the mechanics of it firsthand and the mathematics. Um, I don't even think you need to. Like, I think you could get a lot out of the show without nailing down what everything in specific means. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay. I'd be I'd be curious if we ever got a director's commentary, um, like on the Blu-ray. Oh, good lord! I, I, <laughs> a director's but, book. But what I what, what I'd be curious about is if they just start doing stuff like um, this will sound like a weird sequitur, but this is me. You all know this by now. Um, so <laughs> Star Trek 2009, the reboot film. There's a scene in which Kirk is doing the uh, famous Kobayashi Maru test uh, and he's eating apple. And the thing is, like, people who are watching the film were like, you know, hey, does that apple, like, represent anything? Is this, like, the knowledge or is it a reference to what he did back in Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan? Is that a callback? And the director's car is like, no, I just put in the exit and look cool. And I some, I'm, I, I'm not going to say that's the case with any of Sunny Boy, but I would just be curious to hear, like you know, what their uh, what their oh. what their intentions were with each moment by moment thing, and uh, see if like it's what to what level it rises on intent there, like how mm -hmm. how weird it is. Anyway, <clears throat> so with that out of the way, uh, I am now, I am now going to bid a fond farewell to oh, to Doc because. Oh, in the stream of thought, we have a little mini game that we play each week, uh, or each time we do this podcast, where we have to give a two-minute summary of the plot of these episodes. And I, to my credit, did a reasonably decent job with the first time round. I'm going to be full smug ahead here, you know, with the first three episodes of Sunny Boy. I think I managed to squeeze on. I've not failed those yet. Um, but I don't begrudge Doc's, uh, you know, <laughs> Doc's challenge ahead of him now. Uh, to summarize the events of these episodes in two minutes or less. Um, I feel like at the end, Doc's going to start making the noise that you hear when you have a dial-up modem starting. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And then, and then uh... Lace is going to start shooting out of his eyes. It's going to be it's going to be quite the sight to see if you're watching this on stream. But anyway, uh, Doc, I don't know if this is necessarily the right question to ask or if the answer is uh, perfunctory, but are you ready? I mean, sure. <laughs> sure. You may... let's, let's You, you say that in the same tone of voice as I've asked you if you're ready to fist fight a bear and just for, you know, for the, the entertainment of people watching at home. I guess. Just start playing taps, pretty okay. much. Okay, so I'm going to start our two-minute countdown in... Do, do, do. This is me watching the clock here. Five, four, three, two, one, go! All right, so in episode four of Sunny Boy, there is something called the monkey gitter, which is like a flashlight that shows people the monkeys because Cap is telling everyone at great length of this like weird monkey world that only certain people can see. 
and it has to do with baseball because they were given a, a book about how to play baseball by Ace because he wants to recreate his value in this world. So he teaches the monkeys how to play baseball and then they go through and have this whole baseball history and tells the story of Blue and an umpire with one arm that got killed by a mob because they wanted a better story than following the rules. And then at the end, the teacher shows up and says, oh my God, you can't leave. And they're like, oh no, the teacher said we can't leave. What do we do? And in episode five, they pretty much are like, we'll blame Nagara. Like, fuck that guy. He clearly is absolutely faking. 60 he seconds remaining. Home whenever he wants. And then the lady with the sweater vest is like, God told me I set us adrift. And then Nagara and uh, Nozomi dive in and see a fish tornado uh, in the water. And they're convinced that he has the power of escape. And then uh, the scientist boy is like, no, he creates the worlds. But that's wrong, too, because we find out in episode six when we meet the dog, Yamada, and God, the principal, that... He actually is just an observer that they all, you know, and, and he is like quantumly like affecting the world through his observation. And that what happened is God chose these other possibilities, this other possible future to be the actual world. And they are just the possibility he didn't choose. So Ten, they're sort of existentially nine, adrift. Eight, and seven, uh, that six, is where five, they're coping and four, Hoshi three, abandons predestination. Two, one, that's it. Done. Gotta say that was that was coherent and it was mightily impressive. Uh, well, well done, my friend. Well done. Um, I'm not. I mean, there are details missing from that summary, of course, but it's a two-minute thing. A lot. But how? I mean, come on. I, maybe we could make this like a little project here, where Pete, you know, like a little bit of homework for you. There, if you want to record yourself doing a two-minute time summary of Sunny Boy episodes four through six, uh, feel free to do so, and we'll rate them and we'll uh, decide who's the best. Sentence was on Twitter. Yukinan says, <laughs> Yukinan says, now I don't need to watch. But, but in fairness, <laughs> I, in fairness, the, you do. watching them is part of, like, the actual, like, as in looking at the, the visuals and all that is a big part of the appeal of this show. Yuki in particular would enjoy the aesthetic and animation of this show, I feel. Mm. It's very uh, visually appealing. I mean, do you not want to see, like, a, a bunch of monkeys, like, you know, running around with baseball, with baseball bats? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't? So, Doc. I mean, there are some legitimately beautiful scenes in the show. Oh, yeah. Fair. Like, the the fish tornado is is pretty great. Yeah. It's it's a nice affirming moment for Nagara um, there. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, I'm going to now actually... Pa- I, I apologize for passing the bass on back to you so quickly, having given you a moment. That's okay. Breathe, but let's go through creatives for a little bit. Okie dokie. So last week we talked about uh, Shingo Natsume, the director, scriptwriter, uh, one of the main storyboarders, and first episode director of the show, the creative heartbeat and and brain trust of the show. And we talked briefly just a minute ago about Kinjiro Tsuda, the voice actor for Yamada, the doggy, five thousand year lost doggy, um, trapped in limbo. But uh, we'll take a few moments this week to talk about a couple of episode directors. So the person who directed episode two and then episode six of the show, the wildest episode yet, Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, Tomia Kitagawa. 
And Kitagawa has a very, very small CV. It looks like that they directed episodes in uh, Chihayafuru season three, three different episodes of that particular season. Um, did some setting production for the 2011 Hunter Hunter reboot and uh, directed three episodes of A Place Further Than the Universe, uh, you know, people's favorite comfy show about, uh, you know, middle school age girls. Or are they high school in that show? I think they're middle school in Yuru Camp, but in A Place Further, they might be older. But anyway, uh, teen girls uh, hanging out in the cold and, you know, sitting around... Uh, a fire and drinking soup and such like very very comforting I, I think a title for a show uh, by the way that arguably just as much applies to sunny boy it's just nowhere near as pleasant no no not no, at no, all no one's sitting, no one's sitting around a campfire drinking hot cocoa and thinking man i love this <laughs> alternate dimension this is great <laughs> this is just fantastic. that's their problem their problem is they're all angsty teens that want to go be teenagers do that uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see uh, but that's, you know, again, small CV for uh, Kitagawa, Tomoya. Um, you know, hopefully they keep getting work because I think that the direction uh, of these two episodes in particular is extremely good. Mm. So nothing but positive things to say about that aspect of things. Uh, episode three was directed by uh, Kenichiro Saito. And Saito has a longer CV, uh, by a little bit. Um, it seems that they're chiefly like a key animator. Um, did some key animation on the Wonder Egg Priority OP, in fact. Um, did some a little bit of key animation on episodes of things like Pokemon Sun and Moon um, and Flip Flappers and one of my favorite uh shows to say the title of i've never seen him but i love saying this title gamers because <laughs> i have to say it very loudly since it ends in an exclamation point um I, I thought you were trying to perhaps uh summon some of your work colleagues to help you out with these couple of episodes <laughs> uh, i mean you know there's, um, there's baseball there's a big game theory here and there in these episodes they can help maybe i don't know um maybe maybe also did some key animation on the first two episodes of Sunny Boy before stepping into the director's chair for episode three. Uh, not the first time they've directed uh, an episode, though. Um, Monster Hunter Stories Ride On, because Ride On is in all caps, uh, directed two episodes of that and directed uh, everyone's favorite Idol Master Side M, two episodes of that, as well as... Two episodes of Boogie Pop and Others from mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Boogie Pop is a franchise I need to get into because it seems like very much my thing. And I just, I own the first, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s-ish one on, on disc. I just haven't taken the time to watch it. Um, last thing to point out is uh, the ACA 13 uh, OAV uh Called Inspection Department Regards. Um, Again, Aka 13. Saito directed. Something I mentioned last time. What's that? Aka 13, something I mentioned last time. Mm. Uh, seeming mm-hmm. similar in art direction and design, at least for the characters specifically more than anything else. Mm. 
Well, Saito directed the OAV. Mm. Um, well, just a key animator on an episode of the TV show, but directed the entire, you know, was the director for the OAV. So, um, so yeah, those are the creatives that I wanted to shout out this week. Um, so now I guess we can get to patron questions. We can indeed. We have just the two this week, unless we've had any last one. It mons uh, be slid under the door. Uh, I don't think we have. Mm, nope. Right then. So our two questions this week come from Pirate Rackham, Johnny Rackham himself. Um, and the very first one is, do you think there might be any link or correlation to Nozomi having died in the real world, full of other versions of the students, and her ability to see a light or exit, and or jumping off the building in the end of episode one when she was trying to reach it? Ooh, that's that's a spicy thing because there's a that's an interesting insight. My immediate answer is there's a couple of different ways this this could be. Uh, firstly, is that essentially her risk taking or you know like her risk in different behavior is what in the real timeline, if you want to call it that, even though that's also up for question in the show, nothing's truly certain, um, is what led to her death. Hey, I'm going to try and jump across this gap on the school roof and then things go horribly wrong, as you might expect. Mm. Um, <laughs> so that's one way of looking at it, um, that her risk of it, like, and actually would be co- uh, cohesive with the idea of the show, which is uh, everyone's got their place, everyone's got their, you know, like, uh, designated spot. There's no room for, like, you know, going against the uh, set order of things and by consequence, no room for risk-taking either. She's an aberration in the uh, established authority of the show. Uh, and so, you know, her death uh, through that would be uh, one way of arguing against it. But then you could then also say, well, that's still a worthwhile thing to have. It's just might have not gone so well for her in this case, but that's the elements of risk, you know. Um the alternative being, because uh, uh, Rackham specifically mentions the light or the exit, this is something I really don't want the show to do. This is just speculation on my part. Is it turns out it was an act of suicide, and that that's what the light or the exit means. She believes it's the way for her to like find a way back home, but in reality, it's just a way of her leaving this life behind. Uh, I don't want that to be true. I don't think it will be, but I'm just putting it out there as a possibility. Um, I don't. I don't see this show offering anything quite that definitive. You know mm. what I mean. Even if there's like a way for uh, for people to piece that together, I, I just think the show is not going to be. It is not really interested in like giving like concrete readings about its symbols. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So yeah, that that I think is one way of it, and then. One should also just note, like, that her ability to see lights next is something I mentioned in the previous Bachelor episode where she's a good pair with Nagara. Um, because yeah. Nagara is inherently risk adverse, um, to the point mm-hmm. where it's believed that his ability is that of escaping, um, to flee, like, I wouldn't even call them dangerous situations, but more like how to, how to put this, like, situations that he feels are overly challenging or uncomfortable, uh, the full-blown flight to uh, her fight, if you want to call it that. Right. Um, the Shinji Ikari syndrome. Oh, yep. Yeah, he ain't getting the robot anytime <laughs> soon. Like, Rajani's going to literally build a giant robot at some point. You know he's capable of doing it. 
it's going to be like super colorful and all that. It's like, well, we need a pilot to help us punch through the wall of reality here to escape back to our world. <laughs> and there's only one person I know who can do it because it's only his like obs- observation of things that makes it real. Uh, off you go, Nagar. And he's like, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> to to his credit, he seems to have taken more steps forward in a shorter amount of showtime than you know. It took Shinji the entire length of the TV show. Yeah. To 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 kind of muster up some forward momentum. Yeah. But I, I think if there isn't going to be any link between Nozomi having died in the real world or, um, you know, and her ability to see like sexist, as Rackham says, I think really it just boils down to that um, it may or may not be the case that her risk, like, you know, taking behavior, the fact that she seems relatively fearless, that she'll do things like that, could very well have been the cause of it. Um but then, the, of course, the show must then argue that that's still not necessarily a bad thing because she was at least living a life. We could go over that as and when it becomes revealed. But yeah, I think that uh, that's one way of looking at it anyway. Uh, so first, I want to apologize to Yukinon, who is correcting me in chat, saying a place further than the universe is far from a comfy show. Um, uh, clearly, I've just conflated it totally with Yuru Camp. So with, with laid back camp. So apologies to a place further fans. And I hope that your show gets a, a physical media release so that you can own it mm-hmm. one day soon. And I need to watch it because I just heard nothing but good things about it. Um, regarding the question, uh, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> Shadon and Rackham. I mean, that's again, I think that's a very interesting insight. I will tell you, that this question made me think of something um, and this doesn't answer the question, but I thought it was a intriguing anyway, that consider where we are now in the show and then look back to kind of how the characters were in episode one. And I think that maybe we've gotten more character development and forward motion than one might think um mm. at, at this point uh because thinking about nozomi i don't know she there's something about her and those flashbacks on the roof with the bird and everything that seems so aloof and she was very kind of on her own not interested in being part of uh the so a social circle or a community and now she seems totally kind of entrenched and has friends and is very close with nagara and uh uh the scientist boy whose name i cannot rajani. pronounce <laughs> thank you rajani and uh vest wearing girl who's I, I should pull up a list of the characters is it mizuho? mizuho yes um yes and and the like so it seems like she and she trusts them and she relies on them and they rely on her and i mean i think you could maybe say that about about other characters as well certainly asakaze has has moved it's you know we we've seen more and more that he's like you know troubled and we've seen you know nagara kind of figure things out hoshi uh definitely in episode six made a, a big pivot in terms of his core beliefs and cap as well i think through we don't he's not really we don't necessarily get an arc from him per se in episode four but i think his retelling of the the history 
uh, the baseball history of Monkey Mountain World. Like, in the act of him telling that, I think we get more acquainted with who he is Mm -hmm. and just how much he loves baseball and how his thoughts of it were kind of poisoned by, like, thinking, well, I just shouldn't play anymore if I can't make a career out of it, if I can't make money from it. But yet, and still, I can't stop thinking about it. Like, I must be, there must be something wrong with me. And Nagara is like, no, oh, man, that's that's cool. You're cool. You're fine. There's nothing strange about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think we have gotten some character stuff. Again, it's just, it's... It feels like buried. <laughs> it feels buried <laughs> among the aesthetic and uh, the lofty concepts and the the fact that the show just really will not let you get comfortable in any way. It is not interested in the audience being comfortable, like no hand holding or settling into any particular environment or kind of formula or anything like that. So it can be hard to latch on to to those morsels. Yeah. Just one small thing I'll uh, mention in addition to what you said there about the show being, like, you know, unconcerned with its audience's, like, you know, ease of access, if you want to call it that. Um, Mm -hmm. In the very, basically in the very same episode that our dog friend gets introduced is also the episode in which the entire, like, you know, status quo is just upended. The chessboard is just thrown (laughs) off the table. I'm done! Yeah. Checkmate this, motherfucker! Like, it's gone. Um, So... Also, the show is, like, very fast-paced as a result of that. Um, we only mm-hmm. ever really felt Cecily, if you want to call it that, uh, between, like, episodes three and five, when I think they were on the island. But even then, it was multiple different islands. Like, you know, the location shifts, but, like, you also just have, like, you come back to Rajani having, like, built even more, like, a- appliances, equipment, and all that. A lot of stuff just happens off-screen, and you're expected to just immediately fill in the blanks of, like, okay, he's been yep. working there. And that's to be expected, to be fair. Like, a laborious, like, look at all of the stuff that Rajani, for example, has been doing, whatever I was up to in the months that they've been there, because it apparently has been months by that count. Been a long time, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Wouldn't be an interesting or exciting, um, but still, a lot is going on between the margins of the show, and it's not interested in, uh, you know accommodating to you if you're not paying attention to that um and one could then debate maybe if the show should or shouldn't but let's be clear here not every piece of art in my opinion at the very least even stuff that i find like i just a little bit incomprehensible at times like when we watch for example this reminds me a lot of um what was the era booze office wasn't it and yeah uh yeah trapeze. yeah trapeze that was incomprehensible at times to me uh but still fascinating but I, I think like works like that and this are better for being the way they are rather than trying to, you know, have just some person like Hoshi just come up and say, well, actually, I'm just going to shake by the shoulders a little bit and explain stuff to you. And when they mean explain stuff to you, they're obviously talking to a character, but they're really telling us the audience. So, right. There you go. Man, well, I, I, um, I just want to say that I, f- I find trapeze to be it was i felt like it was easier to put my arms around that show than this one but maybe it's just been too long since i've watched it so mm-hmm. man imagine going back to that. that that show was a trip it was it was it was such a <laughs> it was a wild <laughs> fascinatingly unique work though and i'm very glad it exists but we did a podcast on that many years ago actual years ago we did uh, yeah five years ago <laughs> so go go check that vin- yeah. that vintage bit of dash out there it's in the wine rack yeah. go get it from the cellar uh anyway 
Next question. It was brought up by someone on the Discord. I don't know if it was our Discord or somewhere else's, but Doc's, Doc's yes. reading this question. He's just like, God. Th- this is such a silly th- question. This, this, this podcast is as <laughs> eclectic it. as the episodes we've covered. There's so much random shit going on. <laughs> like, you're to recite the creatives and then do it on doing, doing the plots before. But anyway, it was brought by someone in the Discord that they felt the zombie's character design somehow looked like a Chipmunk's character. Yes, really. Uh, do you agree? And if so, which of the chipettes do you feel she most resembles, looks or attitude, or both? Um, look. Look. Just assuming a lot about, like, our knowledge of Alvin and the Chipmunks. Look, look. And it's lore. Look, right. My knowledge of Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, I know that there's the infamous Alvin, Simon, Fyodor! Like you know, thing uh, going. Oh, uh, wrong! You 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 flip that. Uh, Al- well, Alvin is well, the I one d- whose name gets screwed. Well, I, I don't I don't know. Then like whatever, it, fuck it. And I also and I also know that one of the modern, well, saying modern, um, CG chipmunk films has uh, Alvin mentioned to John fucking Waters on a plane that he had seen pink flamingos, and I've not seen pink flamingos myself. Uh, but if you want, but just look up the the film, uh, look up what it's about and just then consider the Venn diagram of people who've seen Plink Flamingos who then want to see a Chipmunks film and who that reference is for and I guarantee you, you will find it infinitely more like impenetrable and hard to digest than anything this show could ever conjure at you Uh, because holy shit that was a that was a thing that's all I know, I know the Chipettes exist but I don't even know any of their fucking names, um I just well. Bleh. Let me educate you. Let me educate you, my friend. They're a fictional group of female singing chipmunks, <laughs> Brittany, Jeanette, and Eleanor. They're fictional. First no shit. Yeah, they are fictional. My God. I regret to inform you. Uh, they appeared on Alvin and the Chipmunks first in 1983. Uh, their origin can be traced back to 1982. However, well, when you- the album. <laughs> The Chipmunks Go to Hollywood came out, and on this album, album sings a duet with a girl character named Charlene the Chipette during the song You're the One That I Want. Charlene is depicted on the album cover as having long blonde ponytail and seems to have been the basis for the later character of Britain. Can I can I be honest? When you said then like their origin can be traced back, I thought you were gonna follow up with the words hard drugs. <laughs> That's about the only thing that makes sense. Never mind when, like how. But anyway, that's that's a that's a different discussion entirely. If you look in 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 favor of giving at least some answer, I will say this: uh, Nozomi, if she reminds me of any fictional character ever, it's probably Chie from Persona Four. A bit in look, looks, partially, and personality a little bit as well. Sure, sure. I don't think Chie counts uh, as a chipette, but fuck it, I'm I'm reaching here. I'm reaching real fucking hard. Um, hmm. So I'm trying to read. It's certainly not Jeanette. Jeanette is the tallest of the three and has her, like, blue kind of frumpy turtleneck sweater and wears glasses. She's very book smart. I think we can rule Oh, so she's, she's Sailor Mercury, Jeanette. but uh, in, in chipmunk farm. Great. We can, we can rule. <laughs> um, uh... Okay, this is very weird. So I'm reading about Eleanor. Oh, no. The, the first sentence on the wiki says, Eleanor is the chubbiest of the three. 
But then she wears spring green, her signature color, almost all the time. She and Theodore have an open relationship. What does... What does that mean? No. No. Just read out the next profile. Does it mean they're No, move. Move. (laughs) No. Doc. Doc. Read the next Chipette's profile out. So I'm still reading about Eleanor. No! We've heard enough! Despite her being a... <laughs> no, she she isn't so naive and is strongly mature, despite being the youngest of her sisters. However, she enjoys cooking a lot and eating. Thanks. In The Squeakwool, <laughs> she falls madly in love with Theodore at first sight. Uh... So let's read about Brittany, the the main the main one who wears pink all the time. She's the sassiest chipette. What a surprise. As well as the group's lead singer. What a surprise. Uh, she and Alvin have an open love-slash-hate relationship and frequent rivalries. Uh, she is bossy, egotistical, selfish, self-centered, greedy, worries about her beauty, and extremely vain at times, all of which are less pronounced in the Alvin series. She deeply cares about her sisters. Um, well, she's not much of a tomboy. I, I, I guess in personality, I'm gonna have to go Eleanor. Did Did Brittany have any but... redeeming qualities whatsoever? It It sounds like she's just a horribly sexist caricature. Um, in many instances, Brittany cares more about herself and her appearance. Uh, she's not much of a tomboy when it comes to getting dirty and prefers not to get her hair messed up. In the squeakwool, she f- <laughs> she falls for Alvin at first sight and vice versa. Uh, she can dream up the best ways to insult Alvin. What a wiki this is. Can you imagine writing uh, this? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, I have to be honest here. Whoever's written this, like, I, I applaud you because... You're either a very dedicated fan, in which case I will not judge you, or you're doing this because you want Wikipedia to be a complete source of information on everything and anything, even things that I would like to not know. Uh, and I applaud your rigor. I applaud your, you know, integrity. I applaud your attention to detail and your desire for completeness. Um, but yeah, um, I think I'm going to need a few more. Oh man, I'm seeing these pictures. I hate when they do this when like you have no sort of anthropomorphic no. no 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 I'm not it's not it's not going in a bad direction. It's okay. When you have anthropomorphic animal human characters, right? And that's the way they are, and they have been portrayed forever. And then you get a CGI series where they're just regular people, like just regular humans. I've seen it done before. I've re- I've always just hated that. Why Why are you going to... I mean, if you take being chipmunks out of the chipettes, it, it's just such a core part of... It's just odd. It's really... It's strange. And I don't like it. And that's the last thing I'm saying about this. Thank God for that. Because um, I felt like I was going to fall into my own parallel dimension <laughs> then just to try and escape from this. Jesus. <sighs> All right. 
Well, that brings us to the end. Of, Plug the Patreon. <laughs> that brings us to the end of Patreon questions forever. No more. That's it. We peaked and bottomed out simultaneously <laughs> with the chipmunk discussion. Um, thank you, Sarakin, for providing those two. Uh, we will now move on to talking points, and I can assure you, my talking points are completely free of anything that is chipmunk related. Just, just doing you all a favor there. Like, don't say I don't ever do anything for you. Right. Pause. Oh. Sorry, my friend. I, I, I hate to get you to stop as you're just getting started. But just as a something of a break between those, what we just talked about and what we're going to talk about. Not more chipmunk shit, please. No. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. But if, if, you, if you do want to similarly throw a monkey or a chipmunk wrench into our, you know, our discussion, our podcasts... Uh, you can sign up uh, for our, our Patreon. You can subscribe over at patreon.com slash wateridesho. W-A-R-U-I-T-E-S-H-O-U. Shadon is making faces and like hitting his palm with his fist very grumpily. You can, you know, you can ask questions at like our first question, which is very like, serious and asking us to take like a an analytical look at an aspect of the show we're watching or you can ask chipmunk questions uh or the like so yeah uh two dollars will get you into the discord and get you into uh ask questions about our stream of thought series but if you want to ask questions about everything and get all of our content as soon as it comes out including desho the third and um second stream then uh subscribe to our five dollar tier and uh, yeah, so support us that way if you want to and if you want those goodies. Now, I'll kick it back over to you. Thank you, I think, for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay, so talking points, oh boy. Um, right, so my first thing I want to point out is let's talk about the monkeys, because we got to talk about the monkeys. We're going to move from one animal to another, from chipmunks to monkeys. Um, and so... I wanted to just quickly discuss something that came up, and I don't think this is intentional. I'm probably overreading into this, as is by one, as is by, you know, modus operandi, you know, my, uh, you know, raison d'etre. Um, <clears throat> now, the obvious story, that, or the obvious lesson that the, the uh, story about the monkeys overall is yeah, across, which is there's a team of base of monkeys who know baseball, and they performed in a league, uh, and then something went wrong in one of the games. I don't remember the specifics of it. Um, but I don't think that really matters relative to the fact that, oh, okay. no, sorry, go on, Doc. Oh, no, I was, I was going to fill in the details if you wanted to, but if you don't think it matters, then I'll uh, pass. Well, you can do after I made my point, uh, but rather the, okay. the, what happens is essentially, uh, one of the monkeys resists the established rules of the game. Um, and this results in a riot amongst the crowd and all that. And there's great emphasis placed on how the crowd's presence, uh, puts a lot of pressure and weight on the monkey who's taking the shot. Uh, and of course, also on the uh, picture as well, I believe, uh, or it might be the umpire. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But anyway, point being is that the Both. the obvious uh, message behind this is again how you know people can try to resist uh, the established rules of a given game or structure, uh, such as baseball. But it is inherently difficult to do so because it kind of almost exerts a natural gravity or a social gravity that you can find very difficult to escape from. Uh, because it's true, I suppose. Like, if you're playing, for example... I mean, let's say, for example, you're a professional footballer at, say, Liverpool, your favourite football club. Um, and you decide, I'm done with football. I'm going to go and 
I don't know, do backwards somersaults down the pitch all the way through, even though I'm like the centre forward or whatever it is, you know? Now, physically speaking, there is nothing stopping you. Is there anything, I mean, if you think about this situation, like, is there anything actually literally 100% stopping you? Like, restraining you? I mean, no. Not logically speaking. No, but you're not going to do it for a variety of reasons unless you literally have a mental breakdown there and then. Uh, one of which, of course, being you'll probably sacked and you'll lose all of your big, you know, football of money, books, paycheck, sack of cash. And of course, because there's also just the more, like, um, obvious explanation of, hey, uh, so like the pressure of the crowd, like, you know, they'll start getting abusive and all that. Like, you feel the waste of expectation. And that is uh, through the baseball game in the show, that is, and this little example I've given of a football game, they are, of course, metaphors for wider society and expectations and filling in roles, uh, sticking in your lane, that kind of thing. So that's all there. And I think that's neat because it's a continuation. Like, uh, I mean, we can say, like, that Sunny Boy is, like, opaque and oblique. But if I I can also describe it as something else, which is consistent. It's not. It's always mm. like hitting those beats over and over again about the idea that you know of rules and societal expectations and you know like how people fall back into cliques and I, and I mentioned that in the previous batch episodes we covered and I'm going to be mentioning that again with separate talking points there. But anyway, I've got all that out of the way because I want to push all of that aside for a moment to talk about the okay. monkeys in a different way, which is. I was wondering as I was watching this, are the monkeys a metaphor for the exploitation of minorities in sports and entertainment? Specifically, I'm talking about the idea of them being invisible and then being treated as wanted as pets by uh, the girls. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I just couldn't help but spring to mind because I thought, why are they invisible? Like, this is one of the things where you where you mm-hmm. have to wonder, like, the point that Cap's making with his story, the stuff I mentioned before, the invisibility doesn't matter. Uh, unless mm-hmm. they are literally just a creation, like, of Nagara's observational power, because Cap is telling this t- story to him, and that makes it true. But I don't know if I feel entirely satisfied with the explanation, because it just feels like it's just a coincidental quirk, which makes logical, which is logically consistent. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if one can derive more meaning from it. Because, you know, like, this society has been created where, you know, these monkeys can play baseball. There's this whole thing about, like, you know, there's one monkey who, like, rises to the top. Um, but then, like, you know... Blue. They're blue, yep, exactly. Um, but they're only visible, like, uh, you know, to people who truly want to see them. Uh, you know, like, otherwise they're ignored. And people are only interested in when they have entertainment value or even, uh, in this case, like, as pets. And I don't know if, like, the show's doing anything with that, like I mentioned. Again, I more than usual when I go on my wild, rampant speculations uh, mm-hmm. and hyper-theorizing, um, I could be completely talking out of my ass with this one. Um, but, I don't know, there was just something about that as I was watching it until the actual meaning unfolded where I thought... What is this a metaphor for? Is this for, like, systemic racism? Is it for, like, how minorities are rendered invisible until they're useful? I mean, there is history of that in the United States, and baseball itself is an American sport, because that also applies, for example, like, to, say, the jazz performers in the US of, like, the 20s and such, where you would have people who are black who could perform as jazz singers, for example, or saxophone Mm -hmm. uh, performers, you name it. 
uh, in a club or a bar, um, and they would have a door for the performers, would that same person be able to go in the front door just simply to have a drink? No. They they were exploited as performers and artists, um, which is, I mean, obviously, you know, slavery had been abolished at that point. It was pre- uh, still in Jim Crow era. Um, but regardless, they were only relevant to people as sources of entertainment and not as actual people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm probably really going way too fucking like deep to the bowels of the earth on this one to find only a hollow core. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, is there something here? This could be interesting. Uh, I don't know. Mm. So I could be misremembering, but are not the fans who devour or not literally devour, but basically kill the ump? I think they're also monkeys. Mm. Who can't be seen? Um, you could be right on that and one, and that's and and that's and that's why like they were so kind of rabid, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, in their support for Blue because he's one of them, and he's like uh, risen to these great heights, and like they are wanting their perfect kind of narrative when the umpire is there, kind of the only one, kind of going against them, saying like, well, you know that that doesn't matter as much as like the purity of the rules of the game or whatever. And I'm not saying that this makes your, th- th- this reading or metaphor impossible, but I think it does weaken it. That yeah. Like, I would agree. The, the people, the people exploiting are also invisible. I mean, it's not saying it's not possible again, or doesn't speak to that at all, but, um, but that is interesting. I mean, I hadn't even, I hadn't considered that uh, just because it was so, weird yeah i mean <laughs> as a i mean uh when the zomi and uh i cannot remember a name now amazon girl <laughs> i should know Mizuho. like you know when they go saying they want one as a pet i was just like but these are sapient creatures who are intelligent and they like they clearly are capable sure. of playing like they play spawn that well i mean depending on who you ask like and which sport is i suppose that's not necessarily a test of intelligence but nonetheless <laughs> my point being is you know like i thought that's a very strange thing for them to ask and it just made me think, like, why are they distinguishing them in such a way where they mm-hmm. are perceived as being, like, you know, things that you, as, as you, something you could keep as a pet? Uh, that thought felt very, unless it was just literally the girls had never seen them. Again, this could literally, this could just be literal explanations. We'd never seen what the monkeys actually look like. We don't believe they're actually playing baseball. They're literally as big as the rest of them. Uh, and they just feel like it would be cute to have a monkey as a pet because why the hell not? Mm-hmm. I mean, anime has a history of helpful monkeys, you know? <laughs> they... <laughs> history of helpful monkeys. Um, I'm, why, okay, uh, list the helpful monkeys. I'm forgetting the helpful monkeys. Oh, God, now you're asking, because I know I've seen some, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my bloody head now. The mayor in Brand New Animal, right, is is a monkey. No, she was a... They're not? She was a, like a... Oh, hairless cat. Yes, that's right. Who's there's a monkey in that show though? But they, okay, regardless. Well, let's well, okay. Ma- 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 maybe more recently, I suppose I could mention. There's a bunch of monkeys in Odd Taxi. Yeah, one of <laughs> one one of them one of them is basically uh, Jason Statham from Snatch, but uh, I won't necessarily call him helpful. <laughs> right. But anyway, right. I'm sure I'm sure I could list more yeah. helpful monkeys. I'm sure there's been like monkey like partners. Wasn't like Speed. In fact, Speed Racer. Uh, Agretzko. Uh, you know, uh, the, Mrs. Gorey. the cool, yeah. 
the cool lady Gory, who yeah. wants to go into does she want to go into business with the Gretzko I forget no, that they, was, they do karaoke together no that that was one of her friends uh, but uh, there was of course Miss mm-hmm. Gory uh, I mean wasn't there a monkey and steed racer oh dude I'm, <laughs> I'm, not I'm sure. 99% certain you think you know, like a monkey with a bandit mask maybe uh, quite possibly um, yeah I mean I'm sure I could come up with more but hey you know Maybe the, I said, uh, is there is there a monkey in Beastars that I'm not remembering? Oh, I don't think there's any notable monkeys in Beastars. To be quite honest, not no. <laughs> Beastars: colon, no notable monkeys. Uh, it's, it is a downside to <laughs> an otherwise great show. Yes, yes. Uh, how unfortunate. Um, this is also now making you think of like I'm sure there's at least one monkey in some macros somewhere, but this is like dredging the depths of my memory. Huh. I could be completely wrong on that. Hmm. I can't think of one, but it's been a number of years since I've watched the earlier. The fact that you don't immediately disprove my theory, like, uh, it's not a question of, like, you remember, but, like, that you could see the possibility of there being a Uh helpful monkey character in Macross. But but anyway, anyway. No, I I do agree with your point, though, that, like, that thing about the crowd does weaken it a little bit. And I don't know, like, I'll leave it to your judgment people listening in chat if you think I'm, you know, might be onto a potential alternative reading or a complimentary reading of that entire story arc, uh, that plot thread from episode four, or if once again, like my brain has turned into, you know, like uh, bangers and mash, uh, you know, it's just completely scrambled to turn into mush. Uh, and I'm just bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> If I'm as distorted and random as some of the like, you know, stuff we see in the show. Um, so I guess I'll take a crack at, the whole monkey business. Oh, no, um, you've been waiting to say that all podcasts. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> Zing. So, I, I, you know, my woefully inadequate kind of reading of it, and reading is like a strong word because that makes it sound like I really have a handle on it. And like many things in the show, I, I really don't. But the, the one thing it did make me think of you know, going back to what Natsume said, uh, the kind of uh, main idea behind the show was like, um, it, it almost felt like a like a Rorschach test. Uh, this whole fable, uh, baseball, and what happened to the umpire and what happened to Blue, and that there's not really like how however you interpret it is is fine because I think. You know, Nozomi was very much like the umpire was in the right. You know what I mean? Like, um, he went up against everyone, and the, the entire world yeah. was telling him, you know, cave on your convictions. You're right. And he's like, no, I will not. But, like, uh, Asaka, is it, uh, yeah, Asakaze was like, no, it wasn't Asakaze, it was Ace. Ace was like, you know, screw that umpire guy. Like, he was just wanting to get, like, in the way of genius, right? Like, uh, it's it's much more preferable to, like, have this beautiful narrative with people who are very talented and amazing succeeding. And, uh, you know, if the, the rules need to be fudged for that, then rules be damned. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's necessarily, like, a wrong answer or way to look at it. Although I... I th- it, it's hard to say because like if if i were to say like you know i prefer uh the ump 
you know. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of saying in a way, like, I, I prefer, uh, like, rule sticklers and rule stickling, which isn't necessarily a cause I want to back. And there's a lot of complicating factors as well, like, kind of going into it, like, you know, how Blue felt pressure, as you said, uh, by his circumstances. And it just felt like a like almost a, a just a circuitous way uh, or uh, indirect way of kind of putting the themes of the show out there mm-hmm. in again in a very weird sort of way. I think uh, at least this is the best I can tell from it is like what the show wants to do is say like well reality or, uh, or not reality because I don't think it's saying that these kind of things are taken as given. But in society, human society, there are rules and constraints and things that arise from that can be frustrating to people. And just looking at like how these different people react to that frustration and what they choose to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. That's like the best kind of muddled way that I that I look at the whole thing. It was fascinating to hear, but like at some point I was just like, man, I don't need to get too bogged down in the details of this because it's a lot. Yeah. I'll just mention as well as, as one final thing is that you mentioned about Nozomi bringing up that comment. Um, Nagara is actually privy to this conversation. He's a part of it. And indeed the context is delivered to him she mentions him specifically and so the story is meant to be something that he learns from because as these episodes develop he is put under extreme pressure to uh deliver on taking everyone home because they all believe that he can do that um so that's a part of it as well so it's not just for our benefit this that's a really good oh that's such a good point actually like i hadn't thought about that like it does parallel that situation where people like have come up with this story based on what sensei said Mm. and they want to believe it Mm. you know really and then he's you know but then you have not a uh why have i forgotten the main character's name nagara they're basically just like you know i can't (laughs) like these are in, in a sense he's the umpire like putting the rules out there like that's not the way things are i'm sorry that the way things are does not sort of conform to the way that you want them to be but just doesn't Mm -hmm. and they react violently and come after him yep so that's a good shout but from you for sure yeah i have my moments sometimes i hit a home run Mm. (laughs) all right over to you not bad uh well you keep going oh i'm i i am just gonna ping off of your talking points very well very well (laughs) well as a joke thing i just want to mention i love how episode four opens with uh nozomi just literally swan diving into a black void i mean i've played i've played my fair share of video games where for a laugh i've occasionally turned on the no click cheat and gone out of bounds uh this i think is the first show i've seen that tries to make a character do that literally uh so that was uh that was certainly yes. something um but i also just like the starters of that idea by the way they just literally is a black void uh but we've discussed this before on the previous episodes but i mean sometimes a minimalist approach to like your environment where or what you might perceive as a threat uh can work wonders okay uh next point i'm gonna make i want to talk about misaki uh who is the sensei who just literally walks out of the fucking ocean <laughs> yes i, I mean 
Sure. Sensei in air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, so she is pure evil, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Uh, she says, like, you right. know, she, she belittles the students, mocks them, says you're, going, you're not going nowhere, you know, and she basically rallies most of them around her. Uh, she says that she has been sent by God. Uh, put a pin in that. Um, because because I think <laughs> right. I've mentioned before about the idea of like how people refer to God as like the ultimate authority of rulemaking and all that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what higher order is there um, than, than God? You know, some religion is a stand-in sometimes with people feeling like, you know, that that's the thing that we should adhere to for our morality and ethics. But anyway, that, that side... God, God in this world is a very old, uh, God in Michael Jackson principle. Uh, God in this world is apparently Doctor Strange lovers, as Steve Vesnet pointed out, uh, right. which I didn't even right. recognize. But I am a big fan of Doctor Strange love, and now that just really makes me wish that like someone could do an approximation of Peter Sellers uh, doing that voice. Uh-huh. So it's just, it's as quite simple as you'll see, uh, my my president, uh, my, my intendant. We shall send the students to the parallel world in order to study mm-hmm. their abilities to change reality <laughs> with the superpowers. It is quite Amazing. exceptional, don't you think? That's what I want. I want I want a really, really terrible fake Peter Sellers German accent on the English subs uh, oh, sorry, on the English dub for this show for the principal, please. Love the love the bomb. Oh man! Um, does like does Doctor Strange love also wear one glove? I can't recall. It's been a long. Th- this is where my Michael Jackson joke comes from. It might he is he, he is might is... well do. Um, okay, he he might well do. But yeah, uh, yeesh! I need to rewatch that film at some point actually. It's still one of my favorite comedies of all time, um, and also just a great send up of like you know. Cold War and, uh, you know, hmm. Amer- the rampant desire for Americans to have someone to fight in a forever war kind of thing. Uh, to the point where they will, again, what we do. where they will invent uh, completely bullshit reasons for doing so. Uh, spoilers for the, sh- for the film, but uh, someone decides he wants to nuke the Soviet Union because of fluoride and because it's giving him erectile dysfunction. Because there's only one way in which one can get erectile dysfunction... And it is, of course, due to fluoridation and not because of anything else at all. <laughs> anyway, back to Misaki. So I actually thought she was a really intriguing character. And I was about to say there are two reasons for this, at which point you can laugh all you want. Um, but anyway. <laughs> but She's a cat. He? It's for big yellow eyes. Oh, right. <laughs> no, uh, please continue. Right, please okay. Continue. So... Uh, Asakaze, the other guy we've mentioned, who is the one who is actually keeping the island going by creating this black void for meteors to fall into that seems to be happening every couple of hours, minutes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he's approached by her, and in their discussion, she eventually pulls him to her breast. Um, and what I found interesting yes. about this moment is it didn't come across as overly sexual to me. And you might say, well, what the fuck are you talking about? It seemed instead more like she was trying to be, like, motherly to him. Sure. And sure. what I found fast... However, Sorry. those two things co-mingle 
on Pornhub, for instance. <laughs> very, very much. So they're not necessarily mutually exclusive items. Fuck's a babe that came out of the sea. <laughs> Five million views. But anyway. Anyway. Incredible. Anyway. Point being though, uh he like he's very much wanting to go home. Um and she himself is an extension of the authority uh, god that is. I mean, she's a teacher, there's the principal, so the hierarchy is adjacent and equivalent. But this motherly nature in which she, like, draws him in, uh, I thought was really fascinating as the way how it just textures how we view authorities in general and that some people find it difficult to peel away from because they feel mothered by them. They feel mothered by a sense of order and a system that has, like, you know... Uh, consistent and discrete outcomes for them. And I think that's why Azakaze, uh, in particular, um, is drawn to her in that way and doesn't really resist her, like... Because, again, it's not sexual. She doesn't, like, start making out of him. She doesn't bang him, at least not that we know. And it still doesn't seem that way. But rather, she just seems drawn as, like, a lovely figure. Like, you know, hey, come here, come here, darling. It's all right. It's okay. I've got you. And I thought that that was a really interesting way of painting the idea of authority that, for some people, it can be, you know, as I say motherly it can be familial it can be a, a crutch in that sense and this is also why nagara like i don't think is particularly affected by her words because by contrast mm. he it turns out has a disaffected relationship with his mother in the real world which whether or not he remembers that or not at the point that she appears in the story um it still seems to bleed through to his his thinking and yeah i just thought that was a nice little detail and explains her inclusion really well and why she is the character she is in this show because um, it would be all too easy for her just to be a, a teacher or a, a authority figure, and that's what causes the students to fall in line. And that does happen, but this specific thing with Asakaze was like, why is she doing this specifically? Because uh, I thought this, I thought it'd be, I was, I was going to say beneath the show, but I, I don't know, there's times and places for that sort of behavior. But I thought it'd be like not really to, uh, in the show's like, you know, uh, style to have her like, you know, actually full blown come on to him and like, I don't know, bang him or whatever. Um, but to me, it make uh, to me. I think it makes more sense, like, to tie it into the idea of authority that she is a mother figure, and mm-hmm. it can be very difficult for people to move away from mother figures over time. Even though, funnily enough, mm-hmm. uh, kids of their age will eventually have to do that, in the sense that you know, like, leaving home. The stuff that happens when you know, like, you your kids grow up and they grow away from you, um, but not without game water. You know what I mean? You're, Mm-hmm. That, ca- sure, that kind sure. of stuff you know like when, when you feel like it's time yeah. to leave the nest but she's like drawing him and keeping mm-hmm. him closer so i thought it was like a nice thing uh a nice thing the show did there to help texture like mm-hmm. how people can see authority and why they struggle to escape from it or rebel and that's interesting i i mean i think for me she is very sexualized character and like you know <laughs> I, I I really don't want to use the word problematic, mm-hmm. like because it's so coded. But like I, because I don't really find it problematic. But like, it's definitely a sort of sexist kind of uh, <laughs> character out there, right? Like uh, everything that she's doing is about like sex appeal or being maternal. Um, uh, I felt, but like I was wondering if. If in she, because like no one, I don't. 
I don't know if anyone really remembers her or she's just like because she's there it's like their brains buy it and they're rewritten you know what mm-hmm. i mean almost it's like because according to yamada the doggy um he like only students can come through and when he says that we we get a shot just barely seeing a student's skirt underneath her lab coat um and so it makes me wonder like What's going on there? Is she a student? Is she some kind of, you know, we fight, we, we we think for a while that Nagara can create worlds, uh, but we find out he's just, it's just a, he's looking at possibility spaces. He's just sort of a quantum observer. Like, is, is, is she like his mom nah, <laughs> that he's projecting I, into this world? I, because uh, he, he has a bad relationship with his mom, as you point out. Um, I don't think so, so. because it's because her behavior towards everyone else, it doesn't seem like so specific around him. Like she seems to have some knowledge of some people. Like she's that like a piece of shit like you to all the girls. Like how would she make that judgment? Like even just being like really cruel. Like it doesn't make sense for it to say that without having some background knowledge and individuals. I'm of the opinion, um, and I think this is a uh, like with what Rackham said in the chat, which is. I think she's probably just an entity created by God. Because I can't imagine like her being that way mm-hmm. in real life where she was just literally the worst teacher ever. Oh yeah, there's no way. Yeah. She yeah. she reminds me of she she comes across like uh, and I know it's, it's silly for it to say this about an anime, but she like as a cartoon character. Like she reminds me of someone like you'd have come in like, you know, in an episode of Daria or South Park as a guest person who's constantly calling everyone like a whore or whatever, you know. I, I could just see her doing that. But I, that's why I, I... But I think, like, her overly aggressive and vile, uh, toxic behavior is to basically browbeat people into line to follow... Like, you know, she's coming at this point now because people were just getting too out of, like, out of control. They were getting unruly <laughs> in these other worlds. We've got, I like, we've got a, you know... A straight line for them to follow. Indeed, there's an image, if I recall correctly, where she is leading them down railroad tracks, uh, which, well, you can read into that all you want because right. that's a that's a that's a mm-hmm. key image. Now you're only going one direction, back or forward. Um, can't wait for her to introduce them to the trolley problem. I've got Nagara on this track here, <laughs> <laughs> um, and a, a portal home on this other track. No, uh, no the other track will be empty. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that, based on what you've said, that the possibility of her being a creation of Nagara's or some kind of projection about not necessarily what his mom is like, but how he ah uh, right internalized her is necessarily out of bounds. I mean, uh, she. You could tell from the way he in the real world in episode six, and I believe in episode one also views. Um, uh asakaze as like special chosen popular boy uh so she would choose him right over over nagara mm-hmm. and she's like directing everyone after him and sort of it becomes like the source of his woes i don't know um i it probably won't end up that way uh but i think it's not super unreasonable but but anyway like um Oh, what was my main thing I was going to say about 
about her. Um, but then what's two things she likes about her? Oh, hey, um, no, but I, I do, I do think that like what I said about her sexualization and what you said about the maternal nature of authority uh, are not like incompatible. No, I think not. both could be true with her character. Like, cause I mean, what is more like uh, in a weebs wheelhouse than, you know, step on me, mommy, uh, <laughs> a, a hot, authoritative mommy to take charge uh and be hot but also be mommy do i but also be hot do i need to start uh, quoting van halen here is this the time yeah. bringing it back i'm bringing yeah, it back this is the I've, time. I've, you know i've not used the van halen joke for a long time on this pod but it's coming back again gotta say gotta say no no i'm not doing that no one <laughs> needs to hear me so, sing that no <laughs> Uh, she's a really interesting character, and but I do think that that's a cool that's a cool way to look at her in the show thus far. I'm really puzzled by her, and I'm mean, just waiting for the other shoe to drop with her character. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, do you have anything else, um, or do you want me to throw out some more points? No, I have go, some more. please. Okay, uh, let's talk about Rajani for a bit. Uh, firstly, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he is Indian, which is nice. Uh, let's go to see a bit of representation here. Um, but I think that mm-hmm. also explains, like, because some of the, we basically have two groups at the end, um, which is we have, like, the people who follow Misaki. Uh, in fact, no, we probably more have three, I'd say, because I think Hoshi is working separately from Rajani. It's not entirely clear. I could be wrong on that. Um, but anyway, we basically have Misaki's group of people who she kowtows back into line and is like, you know, um, listen up, you low lives won't amount to anything, all that usual shit. She's like, yeah. <laughs> Get, get the fucking line. <laughs> Say Zunsinriku. <laughs> yeah, she would be anywhere near yeah. as polite about it. Um, and no. that's saying a lot for her. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but then, of course, we have uh, Hoshi. And then we have Rajani, uh, Nozomi, uh, Mizo, and Nagara. And I think also... Yeah, Kat- the core group. Yeah, the, those, those four specifically. And you can look at all, all of those individual characters there and see why they are part of the outgroup. Um, and mainly it's not quite as clear immediately with Mizuho for me but I think that's perhaps more because she's now become an outlier because of her wealth or like her perceived wealth inside the world but anyway uh, I mean you've got Nozomi who is the risk taker you've got Nagara who is um, uninvolved in everything he doesn't want to be part of groups or life in general he wants to be outside of everyone's circle despite having found his way inside one whether he realizes it or not or actively willed it and then we have Rajani and what I really appreciate about Rajani is that he is the exact kind of kid that you need in order to change the world. Because mm. of two reasons. One, his actual aptitude. Now, mm-hmm. I think something that, and this admittedly could be me giving too much credit, that maybe the show could make more explicit, but it's one thing, in my opinion, to have the ability to create something. Like, to analogize here, let's say that I suddenly wanted to learn how to draw uh, and maybe you can come in on, on help me on this one in chat but there are two things you need you need the tools and you need the imagination and insight and talent so it's what's in here and then what you actually put your like what's in here too like how you translate that to media be that paper be that photoshop however you do it and Rajani has the tools, which is he can create these like applications. He essentially has the abilities of Forge the X-Man, which is he can create like all sorts of crazy technology. But 
of course, <laughs> having the tool to create or the ability to create that doesn't mean you have the uh, idea or the mean or, or like mm-hmm. you know the insight to do so or the imagination. But he does have that too, and I think that's a, a real it makes him a really positive character because it's not just a question of oh I have this ability, but it's how I choose to use it. And as Rackham has noticed in our chat here. Um, he is, uh, you know, all about the science, all about the rationality, all about testing everything. He remains calm. He remains, you know, in control. And he keeps working on ways to sort this thing out, uh, even though it is essentially an existential end for them. And you can then draw your own analogy to this, like, you know, we're trapped with no way out, uh, we'll go mad or insane to all sorts of, like, actual real-world threats. Do you want me to throw climate change into the bucket? Because... Boom, there we go. It's in there now. Um, but I like that this show asserts that even with, even with, like, you know, all the, like, oh, we're trapped in this other world stuff, and then there's literally, uh, you know, Misaki, and then God as the principal coming in and saying, like, you know, you've got a place and you're going to shut up and you're going to sit in it. Uh, Rajani exists at all. Um, I like the, f- mm. I, I just really am quite pleased by existence. I think it's a very positive thing. Not just in the representation element, uh, but also in what he is capable of and what he is actually doing. Um, you know, the show has a positive outlook just by simply having him in there. So that's a, a really neat thing, in my opinion. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I'll take the opposite um, character archetype here, and I'll talk about Hoshi for a minute. Because mm-hmm. um, I find him incredibly interesting, and I think that the show has really done a, a lot different with him than I thought. I mean, I think originally we were like, is he the antagonist? Jada's uh, I remember at the end of last week. Yes. At the end of, of last week, we were, uh, last episode of Stream of Thought, I mean, we were like, well, is he going to kind of start some religious movement? Uh, and are we going to get kind of a, a cult commentary here? Um, and just, just as in BNA, this show deftly sidesteps that and does something entirely different uh, but 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 i really like what it does you know because hoshi is like he has these strong beliefs in fact it seems like the voice of god speaks through him at various points is that the principal's voice i didn't go back and well th- he and hoshi check. actually met the principal at one point in one of the previous yeah. episodes mm-hmm. and so and yeah, I mean, he just has, has his conviction, but like, you know, and he's very much determinist, right? Uh, or, or like, at least in the way that, um, you know, if if not like totally like a physicalist and a determinist, he's like believes in divine foreknowledge determining the future in a strict sense. And, you know, he's like... Uh, all about that and and discourages this idea of changing the world and trying to go home and things like that. But like once he sees that you can rewrite the future that he thought he knew, right? That, that outcomes that seem to be set in stone could be changed. Um, in one of the most abstract scenes ever, Mm -hmm. like they're in some kind of cube and, there's like oh it's the film hypercube weird. all over again yes 
co- like sludge slime like coloring on the it looks like the surface of Jupiter but like it keeps changing like the colors kind of like it's weird and but he also has uh, a a wheel of like a of a 18th century ship in the age of discovery uh, a pirate ship wheel and he's you know steering the ark or whatever uh the the shelter that their their faction has holed up in and he veers to the right and they they were sinking into a black void but then they they come out of it and he's like oh my god like the future can be changed so like i don't know he he's totally kind of not what i expected him to be mm-hmm. um he he really doesn't necessarily seem to be leading people astray for his own ends or because he like and he's not like devoted to some belief to the point of where like it could be proven false but he still will follow it all the way to the end cuz like it's what he's put his worth and everything into he just sees what's in front of him and he's like well i have to change my belief structure and uh, i thought that was really cool yeah and i'm really looking forward to kind of where he goes as a character yeah absolutely um much as we said before like that there isn't necessarily like deep emotional arcs with the characters or attachment points or things that they're like we don't really for example get to see them wanting desperately to go home for any concrete reason like i must go back to my girlfriend or uh my sickly grandmother is waiting for me you know Hmm. um which is something i'll get to in just a moment um like there's only one i can think of which is um and it's not it's not as concrete as you mentioned it's not about a but like but Ace seems to want to go back because as a star baseball player and handsome high school boy, he was like in that structure, he was very highly valued. Mm-hmm. And here he's just another guy. Yep. Well, um, anyway, keep that up. Keep a pin actually for just a moment. But okay. yeah, um, I, I really like Rajani's inclusion and also how oh, she's like, and I mentioned like all the characters, like they may not necessarily have those like definitive emotional connections to real people that you might see in a story similar to this where like you're trapped in a, not even necessarily an alternate dimension, but you're trapped somewhere and you got to get home. What are you going home to? Who you, who's waiting for you or what is waiting for you? so on and so forth and it's more as you say abstract and less like defined in a single person or place um and that's fine for the show i think it works a treat um but yeah I- i'm really glad that Reggie is there and now for the counterpoint which is nagara because let's talk about mm. him why is nagara our protagonist this is my question <laughs> um and this is not me being snarky at the show but rather i think the show has an answer for this that i found Actually, really... I also have an answer, but continue. You may very well have the same one, which is... Okay. Nagara is the ultimate disaffected teen everyman. Because there's not really much to him beyond the, uh, you know, I've got a thin relationship with my mother, like, you know, I don't get along well with her, like, and the fact this apartment seems a bit trash, but that's about it. It's less fleshed out than um, Yosuke's uh, story in Death Parade, and that had far less time to develop it. So, and when I say that, like, you know, if Sonny Boy wanted to go into more detail about the mother, even in ways in which it wasn't clear to him, but was clearer to us, because you can do that in a story like this. I had a flashback, <laughs> but I can't make sense of it. But we can, you know, in, a, in that kind of way. Um, then they could have done that. 
Um, but rather, in my opinion, he is that. And then, of course, uh, that says, you know, the teen everyman, disaffected, uninterested in the world around him. So, why, therefore, is this particular person, him, the protagonist? The answer to which, in my opinion, is because it goes to show that people like him do have the power to change the world. He has the power to act and make mm-hmm. things observable, make them real, bring about actual change. Even when he doesn't necessarily have, like, say, the talents of Rajani or the uh, risk-ignoring, you know, like, daredevil, devil-may-care behavior of Nozomi, he still brings something to the table. He can still make his will manifest. It is a metaphor for that. People in real life don't have his abilities, of course, but that's not to say, like, you know, if they actually tried or cared that they can't make things happen. And I appreciate, exactly. and I appreciate that the show does this without being overly heavy-handed on it, where it belittles him for his like, you know, uh, his reticence to be a part of the world, uh, his introversion. It doesn't like mock him or like make him a blubbering mess. Constantly. Like he cries once, but that was because he was literally about to be lynched. I don't blame him, you know, for being upset about that and shaken. Um, but I think I'm glad he does that. I mean, before yeah. he just seemed like, uh, no. I'm sorry, I will take the blame for everything. I will go sit and like, down. Just so passive and unassertive to the point of being almost frustrating. So I'm glad he has that moment where he has like an emotional release. Yeah, exa- and cries. exactly. So I think that that's great that he's used like that, um, where his lack of defined attributes, the fact that he is as plain as he is, and otherwise his only, like, our main character flaw is more just that he's withdrawn. Um, mm-hmm is a wider metaphor for like again how people even though they feel like they're passive or lethargic when it comes to societal change that actually they can you do (laughs) as captain planet once said the power is yours (laughs) i'm sorry i just popped into my head and i was like that's gotta get out i gotta get out of my brain uh but of course nowhere near as preachy as that (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah for sure so to support your thesis, I'm going to read from this interview, ANN. Lindsay asks um, Shingo Natsume, the director of the show, are any of the characters particularly reflective of your outlook or feelings during your own teenage years? Uh, Natsume, that would be Nagara. He might be a reflection of how I was always constrained. So I think Natsume definitely, like, I don't want to say this is a self-insert character, but I think he sees a lot of how he felt at that age in Nagara. Uh, and this is maybe his adult self, like parenting his own inner child. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like looking back how he was and like sort of through this story, maybe like pushing that character or, you know, his past self, like nurturing him and getting him to maybe a place of understanding that he's at now at as at his uh in his adult years and uh I but I think there's there's something very universal in it too like you said because you know uh while we don't sort of control like in a like a causal sense like outcomes in our own life the way that nagara does like we're not creating worlds or ending worlds um or or at least that he thinks he does right because at some point it's revealed that he doesn't really even do that but um 
but it seems like we do have the power to still bring that about only indirectly you know we can't wave our hand and change our reality but like you said we can make choices that can bring about uh, a better world for ourselves and for other people yeah and it's like you said that's can be really corny when delivered in oh the way i just delivered it or the way captain planet does mm-hmm. but like the way that the show presents it it doesn't necessarily come across that way um but like it, which is it was interesting that it, it that the show wound up in that place because earlier on you might say like the show sort of thinks like well we're all just kind of stuck mm-hmm. <laughs> there's all these systems and we can't really kind of ultimately break out of them to affect anything but but it seems like at the end of episode five you know it's saying that well we actually can but then but then episode six it, you know it, it turns out like that he doesn't really have the powers that he thought he did and but he's i mean they clearly i think all still have that agency that humans do to make changes in their lives and, and maybe that's what will ultimately save them um in in a very like literal sense but mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, episode six just makes everything really weird <laughs> in a lot of ways. Because I mean, because what even is reality, right? Because like the it fed the, the world that they were living in that they thought like was the real world. Like, oh, we're in the Matrix now. We just need to figure out how to get back to the real world. What well, turns out, it's just another film, or at least that's the construct of episode six. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not like. Uh, well, I guess it is saying that there is a true reality, but it's like there's nothing special about that reality except that God chose it compared to all the other different ones. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Uh, and also, of course, the real world doesn't have any monkeys that play baseball, so it's clearly inferior. Um, inferior. But anyway, um, one thing I'll note in addition as well, um, it's easy for me to talk about Nagara like as the ultimate disaffected everyman who you know, has the power to change the world, quite literally. But we also just, just should just remind ourselves in previous episodes that he did become friends with Nozomi and Miso just because he, like, in the, especially the last case where he helped find the cat, which is not exactly like, you know, the most earth-shattering acts one can do. It's, you know, it was just something that he happens to do because he, he found it and was like, well, I should. But he at least acted. Mm-hmm. So it's not yeah. simply just, oh, he has the powers to like alter the world's reality or whatever, or whatever he can do, basically. But he also has the powers to just literally give a shit about other people, which is equally important. So, mm-hmm. something to note. And that's like, that sort of represents uh, growth for him. Mm-hmm. Because early on, he saw a dying bird and he didn't do anything. Uh, but he did help the cat. Um, so, so Yeah. That's positive. Good man. <laughs> right. Um, I have another point. I have more. Go for it. Let's talk Ooh. about rat races. Okay. So of, there is an image at the start of episode five where our, like, you know, gang, uh, Mizuho, Nozomi, and Nagara are in a world where there is a, basically a floor that looks like the... It looks like a Windows 95 screensaver. You know, like the one where they're going through, like, the brick walls sideways. It looks mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if you could just look, put, like, the Pipe Dream one in there as well. Um, oh, Pipe Dream. Yeah. God. You could have, I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah. It's honestly, it's Windows 97 <laughs> screensaver hell. 
Uh, but this screensaver <laughs> that they're all stood on um, is actually a kind of version of Pac-Man of all things, where there are Pac-Man-shaped right. ghosts that are all blue that are chasing after mice. Not actual rats, they call them mice. But they're eating the mice. And the way that they escape this particular world is by uh, cornering all the blue ghosts in a coral. Um, they do not, unfortunately, uh, we do not get to see Nozomi running around like, you know, going waka 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 and just glomping <laughs> down on That's the ghosts. That's the sound, yes. Um, unfortunately. Yes. Um, but uh, what they do is they coral away the ghosts. Uh, they basically rewrite the rules of this world and allow the mice to go free, where they are actually transported to a transplanted to a field of wheat somewhere, or what looks like wheat. Um, and this... First off, I need to know, they get a, a prize, which is a really old-looking free-button mouse from, like, the early 90s. If you think my Windows yes. 95 screensaver thing was, like, just a branding... No, that is actually in lockstep with the mm. aesthetic of this fucking thing. But I swear blind, it makes the exact same noise as Choo Choo does through Tenor. It really does. Choo choo. Unfortunately, it, does. it unfortunately does not engage in the same gags as Utena, which is unfortunate. I really wanted the moment for Nozomi just be holding it. It's just inflated like a giant balloon. But, well, I can yes. dream, can't I? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, references to Utena, intentional or otherwise aside, uh, this, of course, rat race or mice race is exactly as you might think. It is another world in which there is a system of an underclass being represented and devoured by ghosts that they cannot fight back from. And there is actually an unfortunate implication here, and it would take extra dimensional intervention to break out of this system. Uh, so if you want to wreck capitalism, we've got to wait for, like, you know, the fucking Lovecraft aliens to come through and just rip it all down or whatever. Um, <laughs> but rather, I mean to point out that I suppose it could also just be stated as, hey, these are just people who can intervene to change the system, and they did. And good for them. But yeah, um, even in a small scene like that, which... Even the mouse doesn't have like a massive role in things, really. Like, uh, but it's still there. It's still it, ho 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 ho. Because there's a mouse ball. Still ho ho ho. In ho. those, yeah. I mean, that was a free ball mouse. That shit was expensive back then. Uh, I know a quality, quality. I mean, also probably very confusing for people just case. What the fuck's this middle mouse button for? I mean, they didn't re- <laughs> they didn't realize what a middle mouse button was truly for, which is reloading your weapons in the first person shooter. That's why I use it for. Ooh. <laughs> mm. uh, I mean, I've got a re- I've got a really cool um, Steel Series mouse, but anyway, that's beside the point. I'm not here, not here, not here to <laughs> bragging about not, your mouse. Not, 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 not here to try and like you know get your my gamer mouse. Steel Series books. You know, I'm not trying to get my secret sponsorship. But again, small scene, but it's cohesive with the ideas of the rest of the show uh, about breaking out of systems and authority uh, that ultimately devour and consume us. So nice small bit. It works. Okay, it was cool. Um... Uh, Steve, in his review, like, pardon, in their review, um, I don't know, it was interesting. They were saying, like, it's actually open-ended if they did a good thing or not, uh, because they sort of, you know, freed them from the, uh, the trap or whatever that they were in, and then they sort of the the humans are like well red revolutionary leader mouse you you now lead the the mice ah. into prosperity and everything in the future right uh but like what is the outcome of that we just we don't know it could have been very bad or it could have been good we don't know um but it is like just so many odd things about this show that like 
now they've they have found that all the this worlds um one of the things about them is that they're puzzles to be solved Mm -hmm. um and you know i i guess that there are simpler and more complex this worlds because it seems like the the one that they're in now they clearly have not solved any puzzle for and it has access points to all these other um kind of smaller this worlds with seemingly simpler puzzles so maybe it's some kind of hub world that they're in now but like but it, this is a really odd thing to introduce because there there's a whole wall full of these like relics well, or accessories you'd equip on your character well i have a thought about that beyond being uh, i mean again to bring up the secret of monkey island beyond being the inventory that you just start combining and throwing around <laughs> and rubbing on like loose pixels to see if it does anything <laughs> one could also then make the interpretation that because these uh, items have been cultivated from different puzzle worlds um that change is incremental and cumulative in how much more change it allows you to enact uh because they gain oh that's tools. interesting um, mm-hmm. as opposed to being something that just happens in one go. Um, yeah, grant, I like that. Granted, maybe it could just be that, hey, we want like a trophy case full of weird shit. You know, it's your video game collectibles. <laughs> if they get one more, they'll get more points for their Xbox Live gamer score. Uh, but you could also make the argument that it's not just like in the abridged way that this show shows it because we don't want to go through like 50 puzzle episodes. This isn't a chip-sucking challenge. Um, you know. That... Chipette's challenge. Oh, no. Get out. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> I thought, like, I, I know, I know. There's very little we won't talk about on this podcast, but can we put a moratorium on chip, uh, on chip <laughs> And just, I'm just chip. I almost said Chippendale Rescue Rangers now, which is how much my fucking brain's melting at this point. Anyway, right back on track. I mean, beyond like I say, being collectible like items, you could then make the argument that say that they are cumulative signs of progress, and that you become more capable of affecting change. Like as you bootstrap one change to another, that's really interesting. Like you know, like goodness compounds on itself. I I would like for them to use the tools to make other good things happen to further support your thesis. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I just want to see them have some really random items in there as well. Um, <laughs> God, it could do some strange shit like. This is a Tamagotchi, except it releases an actual giant pixelated dinosaur to fight for them. I don't know. <laughs> this this show, like, at this point, anything's possible in this show visually, so fuck it. Go nuts, I say. a piece of monkey fur? Yes! Is... <laughs> From that was on it's, Nagara? It's, it's I, From the baseball? It's either that or a triple. I don't know. Uh. Hopefully it's not a triple, because then there'll be many more of them. Wah, wah. Okay, um, I have next one final point uh, to wrap up with. And I want to talk more broadly about the discussion in episode five uh, that Nagara, or rather the class has with Nagara, where they start basically turning almost into a lynch mob. Um, and I want to talk about what they say to him. And it's just a discussion, man. We're just here to ask questions. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just a skeptic. You're a skeptic, right? Just part of the skeptic community, bro. Yeah, you more like an anti-intellectual douchebag. But anyway, that's a discussion for a different day. Um, Free speech and debate, man. It's all I'm about. Free because it has no value. Anyway. Kill Nagara. So they are all like basically yelling at Nagara, and I want to again reiterate something I said before, which is about the idea that where's the specifics in all of this. Where is, for example, 
I have a sister who has a recital next week, and I, or like a week from when I left, and I wanted to really mm-hmm. go see her and support her because my parents were out of town, and she needs a family member there to... You get the idea. You get the yarn I'm spinning sure, here. Sure, sure. None of that mm-hmm. exists in this show. The closest we get to an emotional connection with the real world is when a girl mentions our parents are worried sick about us, but there's no specificity about that. The rest of it is, mm-hmm. as I mentioned when I discussed episodes one through three, the idea of we've got exams, we've got graduation, yada, 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 yada. We've got all this stuff that is systemic or systematic and has no actual like personal relevance to any of it. It's not even like when it comes to exams where someone right. says like, if I don't pass this exam, I won't be able to go on my transfer course to a different country. You know, where we can point to very specific context. Doesn't exist. But again, that just reinforces the idea that we have in this show of, oh, uh, you know, we're stuck in adhering to systems. We have no context to define our lives with uh, that's meaningful. And I think this is also why it's set in as teenagers, because this is the point where you try and transition away from being, you know, in that kind of system where you don't really think about the specifics to doing that. And I'm not saying that all, hmm. like people, like kids don't do that before that age. But rather, again, we're going from broad, like, you know, generic stuff to what the show is trying to say is the positive things to do in life, which is to have more specific goals, to make changes, you know, that kind of thing. One mm-hmm. could, again, argue that this is perhaps too abstract and conceptual to truly be something one can invest in, because it's not preachy like the Captain Planet shit I mentioned before. Thank Christ for that. But it also lacks the, uh, you know, personal stake element in this. Like, we have to go home because, and then the counter-argument being, okay, because of what, is a fair one for the show to make. Um, but then one can also then say, well, yeah, but how about we have something more to invest in? Um, but I do appreciate, like, again, that it is at least lockstep consistent with this all the way through. Um, and I think that really works for it. I think it really works for the message it's trying to get across. Um, Mm. and I like that it keeps coming back to it without also being overly, like, didactic or repetitive about it. So that's pretty damn neat. Yeah, I wonder, like, you know, you mentioned this earlier. I'd love to find out if this was an intentional sort of artistic choice yeah. or it was like, well, I didn't really feel like elucidating that because yeah. I thought you all could infer that you, you all the audience It's interesting that they, all the characters still have their own kind of unique problems. It's not like that. They're blobs uh, without any kind of personal history. You know, that some of them are too controlling uh, others like, you know, sort of, hoshi like a a politician or a cult leader uh some are followers some are are nervous some are perfectionists some are uh wear their emotions on their sleeve and they're very grouchy nagara totally withdrawn so i mean they they clearly are these um you you can't have those kind of problems without uh, a history those problems don't just poof into being but the the details like you're mentioning of like why they want to go home are, are absent from this telling so far. Yeah. I think something to keep an eye on. Speaking of which, one final thing that's also occurred to me. Um let's talk about God for a second. What if he was one of us? No, mm. no, we're not doing that. We're not doing mm-hmm. that. But Doc, you yourself you mentioned that you're uh, correct me if I'm honest, you are a lapsed Christian. But by that you it, at least it, it, you at least know far more about it than me. 
Right. Yeah. I would say I'm not like, I'm, I'm definitely not a practicing Catholic these days. I'm, um, I'm in a, a place that like, I don't, this is always sounds way edgier than you mean it to or whatever. But like, I mean, I would say like, I'm a, a broadly speaking, like a, a person of faith and belief, but like, I'm very much out on, uh, the the catholic church and all like the hierarchy and dogma and belief in the sort of god uh sketched by not only like christian tradition and christian scripture but like religious philosophers mm-hmm. most of them there are more liberal ones that i i think would be more favorable toward but anyway this is a very long answer proceed fair play i mean speaking for myself here i just really wasn't a fan of the wine or the bread but that's not really not there anyway so in christian uh in the christian religion in christian doctrine christian theology uh is there a higher authority higher authority than god that'd be no that'd be no and was heaven uh created by god heaven specific- uh, hard to s- well let me think uh yes i guess if you take literally the genesis creation story then yes okay um god created the heavens and the earth but like what do you mean by heaven i guess because like i I, it just gets really fuzzy because you can start going well like um how does how does god exist without a space for which to exist in but he's also according to you know, theology and philosophy of being who's outside of space and time. So they wouldn't necessarily need a place as human beings understand place to reside. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but yeah, we go, let's go literal Genesis. Sure. He did. Okay. Yeah. So the principle in this show is God. And that in theory then would make the school, his domain, his heaven. And we could in theory also then argue that maybe wherever the kids end up is hell. Uh, if you want to go that far. But to focus back on the heaven element, I mentioned in Death Parade about how that particular show was critical of theology and religion in general because it seemed to present them as a flawed, um, you know, means of judging mm-hmm. an individual's worth and value sure. uh, that mm-hmm. no defined authority could ever offer, render a complete assessment of someone. And I now think that Sonny Boy, in its own way, if we assume, and if it's proven true, uh, without being so like upfront about it, that the principle is the God of this story, like actual God. Um, sure. That in turn, God itself, like as the highest form of authority is limited and inherently flawed because it cannot conceive of a world outside of one of education. But I mean, that the principles like domain over their lives starts and ends when mm-hmm. they enter school, you know? It has right. nothing to do with what happens before. Well, I, we could get into like really nitpicky specifics, but broadly speaking, <laughs> broadly speaking, it has nothing to do. They have nothing to do with the lives of the students before they come to school or after. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really fascinating to think about because, again, education, despite what some people in certain governments would tell you, uh, or where they feel like they have a very narrow view of what it's for is about arming you with the means to affect, change, and understand your world. That can, if you have a very limited and particularly right-wing perspective, be strictly for the purposes of work, because you exist only for your exploitation of your labour. 
But as one of my old university professors put it, university education is also about just giving you a rich perspective of the world. It is about, you know, meeting people, gaining new ideas, understanding, being in a, you know, a place where you're, you can expand like your ability to comprehend the world and live a richer life as a result. Uh, which I think is an admirable goal for education. I mean, it's when I, why, for example, when I look back on when I was in high school and we did things like religious education or things that had no tangible work, practical work-related benefit, they're still important because they give you an idea of how the world works and how to interpret it. Which is also, again, why I think that media criticism classes, uh, the ones that you take in school and not on YouTube, if you're listening at home, by the way, um, <laughs> are important because they give you a means to get more out of the you know, the stuff that you consume. If you go back to, like, you know, to watch a film, for example, uh, and you've at least got some idea of, like, how filmmaking works and how to derive grace and meaning from it, uh, that actually makes more, literally gets you more value for your money for the cost of the ticket. But tangents hmm. about, like, you know, the idea of education aside, the thing that about education, inevitably, though, is that as far as a formalized structure goes in society, it has to end. You move on from it. You go into a job of some description, a profession, a career, you move away from it. And your life inevitably expands as a result of it. The, what you can do with your life uh, develops immensely once you leave at least high school, or even like college in the UK, uh, high school in the US where you end it, where it ends when you're 18, that kind of thing. And so this high school setting that this god has conceived of inherently has no future. Which is quite a potent statement when you put it, like, that even a god cannot conceive of a future for these children. It's up to them to decide it for themselves, and they have to basically break free of it. That's, I mean, it's obvious, like, you know, metaphor for what happens, you know, when you try, mm. when you leave school and all that. Um, but I still think it's quite amazing the show puts it, like, in these very concrete terms where if you believe in it as, as the same structure as in Christian theology, where there's one god, he's the you know, the big swinging, like, divine dick of the world. And, you know, he made heaven. And in theory, therefore, if heaven is flawed, then it's a flawed creation of his. That kind of thing. I think that's I think that's a really amazing way of looking at, like, how this show views school uh, and education. And also how it views, like, you know, what, again, to tie into everything else we discussed, like, what the students need to do uh, with their lives. Which is to conceive of a world beyond of it. Like, because the one they've been given, the one that they're forced to work in, is inherently a dead end. Well, I think that is all very fascinating. And I have nothing more to add. Fair enough, then. <laughs> uh, well, neither do I, as it happens. That's the end of my talking points. I, I mean, there's more I could talk about, for example, with the idea of the film reel and the fact that, you know, there's no way to rewind the reels and therefore the intended, intended message from that is that we have to do make do with the future we've got we can't be worried about altering the past uh even though again sure. with this show's like you know established like um rule set if you want to call it that that it would if you mm-hmm. said if you gave me an episode tomorrow where there was time travel on in sunny Bay, i'd like of course there is i can believe this you know the, the show as i've said before like sets out a contract uh, it sets out mm-hmm. like what level of believability and groundedness it has and as far as this show is concerned, anything goes as long as it's in service or something. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, um, I 
I'm, I'm not going to go into more detail on that. I will, however, just make one final thing to say, which is a shout out. We mentioned them before, which is Steve from uh, ANN, who's been covering mm-hmm. this show uh, week That's by week. Uh, I would very highly recommend their reviews. Uh, definitely do mm-hmm. give them a read. Uh, Anime News Network, go and have a look. Give them a, uh, check them out if you're watching this show. Very much worthwhile read. Very, very good. Right. Well, with that done, I suppose we should rate the episodes then and be on our way uh, to another mm-hmm. parallel universe of our making. Hey. Uh, so, Doc, I'm going to uh, chuck the baton over to you first. Okay. Um, I am going to rate these ever so slightly higher than the first block of three. I'm going to give this uh, 4.25 fish tornadoes out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, uh, they were aesthetically a treat. They were, um, you know, conceptually, like, just splatter fest of ideas and uh lots to chew on you know um same flaws you know after talking it through that we discussed at the beginning i think is that like you know i don't i don't want to say that again that there's no character progression or that there are no characters here but i still find that there's a distance between myself and these characters um you know, I think that, you know, you mentioned that they are really in service of the ideas of the show when the rubber meets the road. And I do think that's mm-hmm. the ultimately the case. And so, so yeah, I think, I don't know, I just think a little bit, I just think it, it that being so, the show can only rise to a certain height for me because uh your characters are really just sort of avatars for uh theories and ideas um and concepts and i don't know that's not as good as if they were like real humans <laughs> with you know meant to just be characters and again this is sounding way more negative than i mean about the show because yeah i think that there's there's stuff there but but I don't know. It feels like front and center are the ideas um, and just the the um, um, intense desire on the part of Shingo Natsume to not be beholden to make something commercial or sort of for the character goods, mm-hmm. you know, or merchandisable. He wants to make his own thing his own way and that uh in this case has you know bad i think as well as good but ultimately i think the show is worth watching i think that you will get something from it both in terms of like just watching it with your eyes and then your mind kind of turning over what's going on and just watch it and don't think to yourself i have to figure all this out um, because that's just incredibly difficult and the show is just very obtuse and elusive. So just enjoy it, uh, for what you can get out of it. Indeed. Right. Uh, for me, hmm, I am going to give the show episodes four through six of Sunny Boy the same score. It's going to be a 4.25 and specifically 4.25, uh, Monkey Home runs out of five. Um, I do absolutely applaud Shingo Natsume for just doing 
wherever the fuck he wants. This is this very much is like a show I could point to and say this is someone's specific uh, work. Like you know, this is like very much their voice. Um, and to to address what you said about the idea of like you know, there's only so far I can go. I do think this show has a ceiling on how much I'll in, in be engaged with it or enjoy it because by design, it's not doing things I've seen shows with similar ideas do. Uh, again, such as Penguin Drum, but I mean, it's not as good as Penguin Drum feels like the most fucking, like, you know, annoying thing to say in the world. <laughs> but what can you do? Um, but nonetheless, I appreciate its consistency with its ideas, even if its visuals are completely out there and it feels like the rules are changing every episode. Like, they're all in service of the same core idea. And I think that it is overall a positive show. I mean, again, Rajani, a uh, great character, really fond of him. Uh, Nagara, like, you know, and it's positive in a way where it's not about a specific person going like Stan Adir, but more like, you know, there are already the people, the ideas and the tools out there to bring about a better world. They just need to act on it. It's doable. It's possible. So, yeah, I, I am enjoying the show. I'm enjoying talking about it. Um... And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next with the, uh, you know, the fucking um, chess table being thrown off, you know, the chessboard being thrown off the table. The pieces are everywhere. We're right. gonna, we're gonna pack it away, and we're gonna switch over to backgammon or something now. Like who knows what comes next? <laughs> yes. But I'm part in, two. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see what comes next. And the, and the show has some yeah, funny bits as well. I mean, there's the bacon phone. It's an emergency bacon. <laughs> I forgot about that. Bacon phone. Um, yes. Ring, and ring, I ring, mean, the ring, ring. splicing together the Bacon film reels phone. was quite fun. Yeah. There's there's a lot of inventive stuff in this. I'm, I'm, and it feels like it at least is cohesive enough where it doesn't feel like it's just shit being thrown at the wall and seeing what sticks. So, yeah, overall, uh, applaud the show for its vision and its intent, even if it ultimately does feel like, as I say, it's going to have that cap on uh, how good it may be. I mean, when I've talked before about the about the thing about ideas and execution, like, you know, where I don't think there's ever a bad idea uh, in anime. It's just how you execute right. on it is the f- question. Um, and with some of the more, like, you know, controversial or spicy ideas out there, your scope for how you choose to execute is narrow before you get to the point where you're basically doing slavery apology, for, for example, you know, to bring that old <laughs> chestnut back. And I think Sully Boy is the case where I think this is a, a concept uh, or an idea or a specific plan for a show that is being executed about as well as it can be, but of course the initial plan only gives it a certain latitude to go to before it peaks uh, relative to its contemporaries that are looking at similar ideas. But that does not make it a bad show. From you, what I'm hearing from you is uh, just a, a an elucidation of uh the uh theory in sports the the nobody sucks theory but only applied to media <laughs> uh the nobody sucks theory is basically just when it comes to pr- professional athletes uh no one sucks they are just either given the wrong role or in the wrong team construct or situation and if you put them in one suited to their skills and abilities they would flourish mm-hmm. and this is basically what you're saying in terms of ideas and execution pretty there much are no it. bad ideas so you just yeah. have to they just require the things around them to go right to succeed yeah. also as a very good dog boy and that uh that yes. counts for a lot yamada 
good lad. Not that Yamada. Not mm. that Yamada, but a, an, also a good Yamada. Yep. Right, uh, ladies, gents, members, that brings us to the end of our stream of four on Sunny Boy episodes four through six. I hope you've all enjoyed it. I uh, hope you've all got some, excuse me, something out of it. Uh, we're going to be back next week on our second stream for the next episode batch of Odd Taxi. Oh boy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, that that such a strong start and I've heard it only gets better. So I'm, I'm super eager for that. Uh, head on over to our Patreon, check out our tiers if you want to get involved on that. It's the $3 one. But if you want to just slide us an extra $2 to see on the $5 one, I won't say no. Do it for me. Please. Why not? Uh, anyway, uh, Doc, where can people find you on this uh, strange, like, you know, other world known as the internet? Um, at the Subtle Doctor on Twitter. Fair enough. Um, and you can find me at Shane1010 on Twitter, which... I mean, it's not an extra-dimensional plane or anything like that, but it certainly can be hell at times. But hopefully you can, you know, if, you, if we can have a talk on it, like, you know, maybe it won't be so bad. If you want to chat to me about anime or whatever's currently on my mind, you know, why the fuck not? We're all friends here. Anyway, on that note, uh, I will leave you all to it. Have a fantastic evening, day, morning, wherever you may be in the world, whatever time you may be listening to this. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for spending time with us. Uh, we'll be back as I say next week with our taxi but until then he's been the subtle doctor I've been Shaden and this is Wari Desho signing off with our usual you know uh, goodbye which is embrace you everyone it's the end of the universe good night bring back the brothers <laughs> <laughs>